Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, let's kick this thing off, Matt. Welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. I'm here at the AES Houston office with the brains of the operation, Mr. Matthew Offenbacher. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, and I'll qualify I'm one of the brains <laughs> some of the time. Right, multiple brains here uh, underneath this, uh, this beautiful umbrella we have called AES. So, uh, first of all, actually talking about the plant, do you like the new plant that I uh, put into our studio here? Yes, I love how it's kind of reaching out towards your window, trying to grab some sun. Right, right. Well, I was like, I was telling you, I uh, dropped my daughter off at school today, and they have this little plant project they had, and of course, she's like, Daddy, take this to work, and so I, of course, you have to, as a good father, you have to bring your daughter's stuff to, to work, which you can see I have a bunch of uh, paintings she has, which you can see her artistic uh, creativity is coming out pretty strongly. Ah. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty good. Well, for those of you who can't actually see it, which is all of you, <laughs> there's a very small cup with a little bit of soil in it and a little seedling has come out and it's got a few leaves on it now, but uh, doing pretty well. I'm excited to see what happens. It's giving off some fresh, fresh oxygen too, I think, which is important here. Uh, you know, we've got the door closed, so providing some oxygen for us to breathe while we continue to, uh, you know, fill the internet world and, and the podcast world with drilling fluids information. So let's get to that part. Cool. Yeah, this isn't about my daughter's plant, but I wanted to touch on that because I think it's super cool. So Matt, let's talk a little bit about technology. I mean, this is a buzzword that's been flying around the industry heavily over the past few years, and we're definitely at the tip of the iceberg, I think. But, uh, you know, we we don't typically see too much in the news with regards to advancements in technology with regards to drilling fluids. So, you know, I wanted to talk about that. But one thing I did want to touch on before we get going is if you want to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor and take a few minutes to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is certainly welcome and appreciated, good or bad. If you do have any questions, we've got an email set up that anyone out there can ask a question. And, you know, every few episodes or so, um, we'd like to answer them and provide some information on some of the topics that, uh, that, come, that get brought into the question. So uh, with regards to technology, we had a, cu- a couple questions come in from, Matt, uh, from uh, Chad Hayden, which is a good buddy of ours. And so I wanted to read those and answer the questions. So the first one here is what does the drilling, what, sorry, what does the future of drilling fluids look like in five to 10 years? And there's a few other questions. So I'll kind of go over those. He says, do we drill well with lasers to the reservoir, then switch to non-invasive fluid? Pretty creative, Chad. And yeah, of course, lasers are coming down the pipeline. Uh, Do you automate chemical injection at the rig site like we do on completion jobs? Do you adopt nanotechnology for reservoir drilling applications? Do we finally see a digital mud man that hangs out in the shaker box and feeds real-time chemical parameters? Uh, so that's the first question, Matt. So why don't we talk about that? I mean, where, where do you see the mud side of things in, in five to 10 years, which is a pretty big gap. So why don't we start, you know, in the near future? Is there anything that you see coming in? I mean, I, I think in the near future, what we see is, is kind of extension of, of what's there. Um, and by that, I mean improving efficiencies, better execution, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, with respect to chemical technology, there's still a ton of pressure on price uh, just by way of unconventional wells are relatively inexpensive to drill. 
Um, and so you've got to demonstrate a pretty significant change in the way things are happening. And so I think those are more what you call kind of blue sky technologies, things that are sort of a, a twinkle in someone's eye right now. Um, and, and maybe that's where we look further out. Um, you know, immediately right now, AES is looking big into, for example, our direct emulsion drilling fluid system. Uh, it's been out for a couple of years, doing really well, saving people casing strings. Um, we love it, but one thing we don't love is that the one thing it helps you do is control your mud weight through the additions of base oil, which is fine, but as you accumulate low-gravity solids, you need to trim them back, which requires more oil additions. So why don't we, number one, improve our solids removal efficiency so that that doesn't contribute to the density of the fluid, and two, what if when I'm done with this fluid, I could break it apart and recover the oil that I added? Um, and so, I mean, it's obviously significant cost savings, that kind of thing. But the idea is that we're making some existing technologies perform even better, more economically. Um, and I think they're, you know, that's just one example of several things we're looking at right now um, to make the stuff that's already out there even better. I guess just to comment further um, on the way of technology in and of itself, I, th I think a lot of things we see are really incremental changes. Um, the frustrating thing in the, the marketing world is, you know, how often do you hear the word disruptive or game-changing? Uh, and really what you find is that a lot of those things tend to over-promise and under-deliver. And for the most part, in, in the fluids realm of technology, I think, there have been a couple of things that were really interesting when they came out. High-performance water-based MUDs were a big deal for the place where they applied, um, and they're still not economical in other places. Uh, I think flat rheology or fragile gel drilling fluid systems are great in deep water, and they were a big deal when they came out. Uh, but there's not a lot of use for them other places. Um, you know, there's there's minimal benefits if they're there, and so. Um, you just kind of have to balance out how, mu how much of a jump am I going to make. And, and uh, of course, we're always looking for the next big thing. But uh, I would say that as far as what's on the immediate horizon, I don't see it just yet. Right. Yeah, I, it's, it's tough, right? I mean, chemistry, in, in my opinion, uh, it's just making what you have even better and I don't know. I mean, f what what can you do to fluids? I mean, you can add different things, but w ideally, what what is the goal? I mean, you're providing well bore stability. You're providing well control. Uh, it's I don't I don't know. You know, talking to customers and stuff like that. It's it's if there's a demand to do something like, well, we want to drill from this depth to this depth, but right now our limiter is casing strings. Well, then you can kind of do the unique things to to you know, adapt to the different environments while you're drilling through different zones. But I don't know. I mean, do you, do you see them all of a sudden introducing a new liquid? Like I know people have used, you know, glycols and then amines. And I mean, have you heard, is there any buzz with like a totally just out, you know, off the wall addition, like a product or a chemical that you're putting in there that's doing something fantastic to the, to the wellbore all of a sudden? No, I, I mean, I think, you know, there's, I, I think, you know, some of those drivers, for example, we know some wonderful shale inhibitors that are absolutely horrible for the environment, for example, right? Um, and so some of these products like glycols were fantastic because they had a, a very small uh, impact as far as Im environmental considerations went, and they offered some performance that was lacking with the alternatives. 
Um, and so I think, you know, environmental is probably going to be a key driver in some areas just by way of the, the toolkit I have got smaller and I need to find something that offers the performance that I used to have um, to keep up. Uh, so, you know, you see that, for example, alternative base oils. So in a lot of places, it's fine using diesel in your drilling fluids. But in some areas we work, it's certainly not. And granted, I think we've, we've fairly well refined the different products that have different solubilities and that sort of thing to perform it under those conditions. Um, but for the most part, if the regulations don't dictate it because it's a cost factor, um, those elements don't change unless it's a law is coming or we think a law may come. or uh, you look at some of the political situation, we just want to be really good neighbors and above reproach uh, so that somebody doesn't come and decide we have to change things. Right. That makes sense. So what about lasers? Are, are, you, th- are you think lasers are coming? Um, I'm a little skeptical of the opportunity with lasers. Uh, <laughs> however, I don't want to be the last to the door on this one. So um, <laughs> I refuse to refuse them outright. Right. <laughs> I'll take that as an answer. Um, Let's talk about just the technology and treating the mud. Uh, do you think, I mean, have you seen, I personally haven't, but do you see any sort of automated chemical injection where, you know, you type in concentration, then boop, all of a sudden you're adding a certain concentration to the mud? I mean, do you see that coming down the pipeline? I mean, I could see it, you know, in, in some areas offshore, uh, there are some rigs that are have some level of ability to do these sort of things. The the main thing that I've noticed is the reliability is always an issue. You've had another piece of mechanical equipment offshore in a remote environment that if it goes down, I can't keep working. And you need to have somebody who can fix it and spare parts and all that kind of thing. Um, And so it's a nice to have. um, But reliability has always been an issue. Um, And and even where I saw examples of this, uh, I was working in a big offshore field overseas. We had probably six or seven platforms in the same field. And I did an assessment uh, where I had the managers do an assessment of like, what, what can make your lives better? Give me five things that if you could change, this rig would perform way better for your job. And the irony was the oldest rig with all manual equipment was the one that had the least number of issues with respect to it. Because even, for example, automated valving was a nice thing, except for now the derrick hand would push a button and then not go verify that the transfer had happened um, because they didn't have to physically go look anymore. Um, and so you'd see, you'd, you'd introduce another problem. Mm. Um, and I, I think, you know, all that being said, bear in mind that some of this stuff, for example, with liquid products, let's say I need to add wetting agent while I'm drilling with oil-based mud, which you should be adding wetting agent while drilling with oil-based mud. <laughs> um, I crack open a valve and I bleed a little bit in at a given rate. Um, I could use a dosing pump for that, but you know, you're you're adding complexity so, to something that's quite simple. Right. Um now, you know, is it okay, could a mud engineer watch a couple of rigs if he could, you know, from his phone push a button and say, Oh, looks like we're running a little low on this? Maybe. Um maybe. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> where I see it and, and I mean I may be talking jets and stuff over here, but Ultimately, everyone I talk to on the operator side is like the goal that and, and these folks are being pushed on is like just automate, automate, automate. So eventually, there's going to be no such thing as a derrick hand and a, and a motor hand. And you know, and I say eventually, this could be ten years down the line. But 
if if they're pushing everything to be automated, all of a sudden an operator comes and says, we want to know exactly how much chemical is going in at exactly this rate, the exact concentrations at all times. Like We're eventually going to have to adapt and figure something like this out. So, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of, it's it's neat. Like you said, why overcomplicate something if it doesn't have to be? But ultimately the resources at the rig level may not eventually be there for us to even do it. So we're just like, companies are going to come in and, and figure out a way to, you know, quote unquote, automate chemical additions. Uh, I think it's hap- it'll happen eventually, but you know, five years, I doubt it. 10 years, who knows? I mean, that may happen because 10 years ago, there was a lot of things happening, maybe not on the drilling fluid side, but just from the rig standpoint that probably nowadays you wouldn't have even known. Like there's people steering wells from Houston instead of being out on the rig. So I see that happening, uh, but not in the near future. I mean, I like the idea of it, at least the handling side, right? But you've got to be able to dose dry chemicals and liquids. And if you want it in liquid form, it's going to cost tremendously more. Um, there's just there's a lot of things where I think it, it, we could do it tomorrow. You just have to be ready to pay for it. Of course. And someone has to say, okay, well, what's the upside on cost? And I can't give you that. But I also, you know, I think we look at automated drilling fluid properties, right? Could we have a digital mud engineer, just sensors on the rig that tells me my, tell me my fluid properties? Perfect. But I guess my question back is, how much time when you're on a rig as a mud engineer, do you spend actually doing a mud check and how much time do you spend doing everything else that the job entails to me the mud check the mud check is a pretty basic step it doesn't take a lot of time um it's there's so much else going on in the rig that is total chaos um that a good mud engineer is contributing to right or trying to be out by the shakers and anticipate what's going to happen next uh, once again, I think these things could be done remotely. I think they could be. Um, I'm just very hard pressed to imagine that it's going to make a dramatic difference in the same way. Okay, so maybe we we don't need a, to run a mud check anymore, but now we got to keep somebody out there to maintain the equipment on the sensors, right? Sure. Yeah, and and maybe it comes back to consistency of the data. Because I mean, you do one person does a mud check over here, one person does a mud check over there with the same fluid. Uh, you know, in theory, it should be the exact same, but a lot of times it might not be. So maybe the push there is we want, you know, consistent properties. We're okay with, you know, spending X amount a day on a person out there managing this equipment, but we want clean actual data, not interpretation based off titrations from some bun engineer who might be colorblind. So like maybe there's a push from that perspective. I don't know. I, I mean, there could be, this is once again, nice to have, but do I need it? And yeah. so it's, so, for example, you know, the calibration of your typical six-speed viscometer at six RPM, you'd be basically plus or minus one, right? You can be off by quite a lot. Right. Um, and we still manage to drill these wells. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, the thing with a mud check is when you look at just one property, you say, okay, well, um, you know, I see this, that, or the other. It's really the, the, pro- the, the change in properties and the way the properties interact with one another is what matters. And so it's, it's all very interesting, but almost everybody who's come with this equipment has said, yeah, I can, we can do this. It's only going to be 500 bucks a day. So, and, and the immediate thing is, okay, so it's 500 bucks a day and I still have to pay a mud engineer. Why? Um, Do you think that's part of the natural progression though? I mean, having to pay for it until we get it to a point where it's efficient enough to where then you can scale back on some of those sort of costs? Well, 
I mean, you hope everything gets cheaper, right? Everything gets more efficient. I just think the market, the market is limited until somebody can say, aha, I have saved this much money by having this information. Right. And, and the irony to me is, you know, I attended the AAD drilling conference a couple of weeks ago in Denver, and it was a really great conference. Uh, wonderful all around. But one thing I really enjoyed was they had a panel of people from different operators. And, and basically, they're supposed to talk about the challenges they had drilling their different formations. Um, but the, um, the, guy, the guy moderating the panel, one of the questions he said is, what are you all doing with big data? And they went from person to person. And uh, most of them said, you know, we're under a lot of pressure from senior management to do something with all of this data, but we haven't figured out what to do with it yet. It really hasn't proven to be valuable to us. They said, we're getting more data than we ever have before. We've got more sensors. Um, it's helped us analyze a couple of things, but for the most part, nothing. Hmm. Um, and granted, you know, as you know, AES is working through our data, data analytics platform. Um, and a lot of it is more driven by benchmarking cost and performance and that sort of thing. Um, and then mud properties, hmm, kind of. Um, as they relate to performance, but it sort of verifies things we sort of already knew. Um, so it can be a fair amount of work to set up that analysis, right. only to find out that we kind of we kind of were. It, it just affirms what we suspected. Sure. Well, we played around with some some uh, like typically when you run a chlorides check or a lot of stuff with the oil based mud, you're using doing titrations for to identify different uh, properties. We played around with a tool that, that helped monitor oil water ratio and chlorides, did we mm -hmm. not? Yes. And, and what was the, I mean, without getting into the weeds of it, was it, I mean, thumbs up, thumbs down? So basically, um, I'm limited on the specifics and, you know, full disclosure, this thing may have been reworked and, and rematted, yeah. um, but it was, it was good in one element and in others, it was kind of inaccurate. Okay. Um, and so, you know, like all things, it was probably a work in progress. But there was, once again, the component of, all right, and I need this much money, um, for, you know, per day for you to use it. And that mm -hmm. was, okay, well, I already have a mud engineer out there. This doesn't replace everything the mud engineer is doing, so they're going to be out there. Right. So whether I have them take five minutes and two minutes and do a chlorides titration and look at a retort cell, or not is not worth a day rate sure. and at a, at a day rate. Now, someday maybe all that stuff comes together where I can just look at an output and say I'm good to go. Right. Like we can we can certainly see little inklings of what's coming. I think the the problem is that they're just a mishmash of of decent ideas. Yeah. And and down the road I think we can expect to see more that you know, perhaps will be revolutionary where we kind of laugh at this conversation someday. Right. Well, it's, it's the snowball, right? And right now we got a tiny little snowball and, you know, people are trying to jump into it and help it grow. But like you said, it's just kind of bits and pieces. We're seeing, you know, sparks here and sparks there, but uh, it, it's interesting. And if anyone out there has something unique or something that apparently we don't know about, uh, I'd be interested to hear about it. So hit me up on LinkedIn or either one of us. Uh, we, you know, we're always looking for the, the latest and greatest in technology. So uh, another part of the question here from Chad says, do you adapt nanotechnology for reservoir drilling applications? That's over my head. So I'd uh, be interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. 
Well, so I think one of the challenges with nanotechnology is... What is nanotechnology, if you so, don't mind? Well, so nanoparticles are sub-micron-sized particles, so they're very, very tiny. Okay. Um, they can do fairly interesting things, um, just because they're so small and they can have certain properties that can make them interesting. Uh, a lot of the technology, when, when nanoparticles were sort of the, all the rage a few years ago, um, you see it in a lot of fabrics and a few other things. They're relatively expensive. Um, but there are there is interest in, they might aid in enhanced oil recovery. They might be able to do a few other things. Mm. On the reservoir drilling fluid side, um, you know, this, this kind of used to be my thing. Um, I, right. was, uh, I was real big in this for a long time. And um, we looked at, at nano for... Um, for different things, but it was just amongst a number of other exciting new solutions. And we, we are still looking at nanoparticles, um, but their unit price is fairly costly. So they have to perform at a very low concentration. Um, and I would say just, you know, my perspective on the reservoir drilling fluid market is for the most part, those wells, it, most, most of my experience with reservoir drilling fluids that are, as they apply to open hole completions is 85% of that is execution and operational practices and people are not used to it and very uncomfortable when they're used to perforating and case hole frack packs and that sort of thing. Right. So a lot of the technology in the toolbox is, is pretty decent. It's how does it work with the completion hardware? How does it do this, that, or the other? Um, so, you know, I could see some interesting things happening there. Um, but I have yet, I have a hard time imagining that, you know, nanotechnology would have a big enough of an influence in those types of fluids in particular. Hmm. But it might be really cool, you know, if, if you could come up with a, an interesting tracer and you could track some sort of invasion, how long does it take my well to clean up based upon how this material was deposited while drilling. Yeah. Um, there's, a, nano's got a lot of interesting things, but the challenge is the unit cost is high. Manufacturing can be expensive, mm. especially manufacturing to a specification. You sort of get what's already out there and adapt it to your own. Sure. And then I, I think the other the other part of it is just, um, you know, it's it's new and and fairly different, and people have kind of promised the world, and it's definitely being used on a regular day to day basis for different industrial applications. Okay. It's what just, would be, what would be an example? Do you have, do you know of any? Cause I, it's something I'm not familiar with. So I'm well, curious. I think the coatings industry has adopted it a fair amount. There, okay. um, you know, nanoparticles can be great. It can do great things to enhance actually cement strength. I know that's been looked at in the oil field cementing application realm. Okay. Um, there's, there are some fairly interesting things, uh, even with battery technology extended life extreme condition um batteries just because there's so much surface area to work off of mm. um so someone like so, tesla is using this sure i, <laughs> I, I, I have no idea when you say battery that was the first uh, thing i thought of i don't know why <laughs> yeah well I, I mean there's i think the well in the oil field what's particularly interesting is you have a battery in one of your tools that needs to go down hole and yeah. stay down there at thousands of psi of pressure it could be in an extreme well, 450 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and this thing needs to work for at least a week, you know, before you can come out of the hole again yeah. and change no, it out. And so um, there's some fairly 
interesting things that nano enhances the strength or the dur- durability of something. Um, and, and that can be quite interesting. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't have ever even thought of that. <clears throat> uh, so kind of question number two, and we, we touched on this already, is what is AES Fluids doing to invest in R&D and start uh, to bring some of these ideas to market? One of which we already discussed is the Enerlite, which is the direct emulsion system, which has been deployed out in West Texas and, and has introduced uh, significant savings uh, to the customers. Uh, is there anything else? I mean, Chad did talk about how we pioneered uh, a chlorides-free system uh, up that helped shape the drilling fluids market up in Pennsylvania, which, you know, I was I was actually up there in 2010 and, and we had used it and it was, uh, you know, by customer request, we did it because the chlorides content up there, we found out by, you know, with the synthetic-based mods that we were using, we were able to slowly start, you know, shaving off, shaving off, shaving off the amount of chlorides concentration that was in there. To a point where it was like, well, from a, you know, because the salts up there is, is, is what a lot of times environmentalists look at the level of chlorides. I remember, you know, them saying, hey, would we be able to completely eliminate chlorides in the system? Uh, the chemistry I'm totally unfamiliar with. Um, all I can say is that was brought in and then, you know, eventually uh, kind of phased out. But, uh, you know, aside from that, Matt, is there anything that, that you can touch on that we're doing that's pretty unique? Well. I guess if it was unique and we're working on it, it's in its infant stages, and so sure. I, I won't comment on those things. Um, you know, I, I think we're we're looking at a lot of things that we're fairly excited about. I think with the deployment of, for example, lost circulation, well bore strengthening. Um, granted, those may be fairly tired terms, but they're very expensive problems for our customer uh, customers, and I think we've sort of rattled around is what, you know, where are fluids limiting the performance of drilling, right? Where, where is it where somebody says, if this fluid property changed, I could do this, right? Well, lost circulation is one of those issues where this is an expensive problem. What do we do to prevent it? And further, the pressure regimes are so bizarre, for example, you know, out in the Permian where there are shallow disposal wells, where they're injecting produced water, you have to drill through that to get to your reservoir. You have no idea if that's pressured up. Um, you may not be able to shut that well off while you're trying to drill. So I increased my mud weight a whole bunch, and now the formation can't handle it. Um, so there may be plenty of reasons that I want to strengthen the formation and, and you know, enhance uh, some of those things, or at least cure losses pretty quickly. Um, so that's, that's pretty interesting to us. And, and a lot of what we're seeing is people say, oh, no, we tried that and it didn't work. And once again, it goes back to, well, you weren't actually performing while we're strengthening. Right. You weren't actually, you, you put some material in the mud and it, yeah, it didn't work because it was never going to work based upon, you know, best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think trying to make a few things easier to use is, is something that's really interesting. Okay. Um, you know, I, I guess it's just tough because we're always working on something. Um, but it's, there, there's kind of two parts to it. There's the, I need a new fluid system. Those things take the, the five-year life cycle, right? They take a little while to come out. Um, and those, you start with an idea and go forward. Then there's the stuff where, you know, we look at an existing technology and say, hey, how can I make this better? So you get Enerlite Recover when you have Enerlite. Mm-hmm. We, we developed a new lubricant for Enerlite because it's a direct emulsion. Most lubricants cause the emulsion to separate. Um, so we needed something that would prevent that. Um, so you start looking at kind of the accessories or the, the bolt-on kit 
um, to make that thing continue on and extend its life and, and efficiency. And that's kind of, as you reach the end of that curve, that's when the next fluid system will probably be in the works. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, what, that's a, you actually mentioned wellbore strengthening, and I think that's mm-hmm. a great topic for another episode, but actually understanding what wellbore strengthening is and, and how companies like us actually formulate different recipes and what, like kind of the research uh, behind figuring out how to actually strengthen the wellbore, like you said, instead of just someone's like, oh, I got this crazy, you know, wellbore strengthening sweep recipe, and all of a sudden it's like, well, that's just a seepage loss sweep recipe so what's you know how are you you know so i think the terminology is it's it's a loose term uh which i it would love to be able to kind of help people understand more what actual wellbore strengthening is so stay tuned for another episode because we'll be definitely touching on that uh matt is there anything else with regards to technology that uh you'd like the listeners to hear about and if not we'll we'll slowly wrap this thing up i mean i think at the end of the day what we're looking at right now is is a lot of simplifying and and adding kind of precision um, to what we're doing. Um, in, in particular, I really like the idea that we could, for our customers, create some statistical distribution models with our fancy new platform and say, hey, you know what? You're doing a pretty good job out here, but this is where we want to get you. And here are, here are the trends that lead us to believe not only we can get you there, but the things that we need to do differently. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about where that's going to take us. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you're working with us now, I think you can look forward to, uh, us kind of asking how we can do that. Um, but in general, I, I just think, you know, technology is so interesting because everything sold is a game changer, whether it is or it isn't right. Call me cynical. <laughs> um, but the other side of it is, uh, you know, you never want to take any of these things for granted or, or blow them off because, um, it may be that that technology inspires the next great idea. Yeah. No, great closing words, Matt. And anyone out there listening, again, hit us up. If you have any good questions, email us at flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. Uh, we'll put that link in the show notes. But we appreciate all the listeners and uh, hit either of us up on LinkedIn. And that's a wrap for now, folks. Thanks again. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.